0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mark's record starts, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel. As we begin this serial meditation, it is important for us to recall Mark's purpose and meaning of the word gospel. It is the report, it is the good news of what God has done for us in Christ, this is the account about we are about to rehearse. Exactly this is the gospel. But it is not always as we might expect. Verse nine, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. We don't know her name, yet it is my duty and my pleasure to recount her act of compassion. She anointed her Lord, my Lord, our Redeemer, in preparation for his burial. Absolutely unexpected. He will die that I, that you, might live. And God uses the unexpected, the outsider, to do it. Paul will make much of this decades later when he writes to the church at Corinth. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It pleased God to the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the Jews and folly to the Greeks, but salvation to those who believe, to the outsider, this unnamed woman, to you, to me, to those far away. But the insider, that is the tragedy of this text. Judas, we know his name and we know the sad outcome of his story. Yet God will use the wicked, the unexpected to accomplish his purpose, life and salvation. So let us reflect on these two, the outsider and the disciple. See how they participate in the unfolding of this gospel, God's unexpected plan of salvation. We sing. Don't overlook the reference to the Passover lamb there in verse 12. And then the implicit reference in verse 16. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as they told him. And they prepared the Passover. The lamb. The Passover lamb was slaughtered. Just as thousands before it for generation upon generation, stretching all the way back to Egypt and the first Passover Each one of that myriad of lambs was a placeholder. Its blood had resealed, revalidated, reaffirmed the covenant of God with his people. So at sunset, by the hand of two of his disciples, another lamb died. But this was not the last. Rather, it was the penultimate, the next to the last. For the final, the perfect Passover lamb reclined at table and declared, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The first lambs had given their blood to cover the posts and the lintels of Israel. Its flesh was their meat, eat, in haste as they prepared to leave strength for the journey to the promised land. But the new lamb... The final lamb would bleed from a Roman gibbet, an unending supply. His blood on our lips, his flesh in our mouths. His blood declares you are forgiven. His flesh sustains us in this life as we await his return in glory. Let us reflect on his body and blood given and shed for you. See the price that was freely given up. Comfort for troubled hearts and minds. We sing verse two. Abba, Father. Mark translates the Aramaic for me. This scene in that exchange prompts memories of my own father. I didn't call him Abba, I called him Dad. Wesley J. was an airline pilot, and often I would find him in unexpected places and going through rehearsing his emergency procedures. He would audibly recite these checklists while his hands turned unseen knobs and moved levers and throttles. He would direct the co-pilot and the engineer in their tasks, all with a singular goal, the safety of the plane, his crew, and especially the passengers. This prayer, as he began to be greatly distressed and troubled, is a lot like those emergency procedures. Jesus is looking ahead. He's reviewing what must be done. The declared emergency is our sin, and the disaster to be averted is hellfire and brimstone. But the emergency procedures really include just one step, This cup. The cup of Revelation chapter 14. John writes, And another angel, a third, followed him, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night. This is what awaits all of us outside of Christ. Jesus would drink this cup in our place and the horror, the reality of what that entailed elicits this prayer. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will. But what you will. Jesus trusts the Father. Thank God Jesus trusts the Father. Let us reflect on this truth. The Father willed our salvation at the price of His Son, and the Son was willing. <music> this text is the hinge-verse of God's economy of salvation. A couple of big phrases there. Economy of salvation It seems a strange juxtaposition of finance and faith, but it is actually a theological category that encompasses God's creation and his management of this world, and especially his plan to restore the fallen creation to himself. It includes the call of Abram and the history of the patriarchs, the Passover and the Exodus experience, the kings and the prophets, the exile and the return from exile, but especially the promise of the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. It is a hinge verse because what has gone before is preliminary, it is preparation, a path to fulfillment, and now the price is to be paid. And the nudge that puts it in motion is a kiss, What a poignant reminder of our sinful human condition. A sign of affection becomes the instrument of betrayal. The eighth century father, Beattie, captured these two terms well when he answered the question, when was he seized? He writes, at last, after five days, having observed up to that point the sacraments of the old Passover, He brought them to perfection and handed over the new sacraments to his disciples to be observed from that time forward. Then, having gone out to the Mount of Olives, he was seized by the Jews and crucified the next morning. He redeemed us from the sway of the devil on that very day when the ancient people of the Hebrews remembered casting aside the yoke of slavery under the Egyptians by the sacrificial death of a lamb. Close quote. Let us reflect on this moment as preparation gives way to payment, prophecy to fulfillment. Jesus goes the way of the cross that we might live. And it begins with a kiss in the dark. We sing. Events happen quickly now and in great disorder. The rush to injustice is punctuated by a number of improbabilities. A trial in the home of the high priest instead of at the temple. A trial at night on a capital charge. This night in particular, Passover Eve by Mark's reckoning. A verdict of guilt deserving death pronounced at the end of the same hearing. All of this stretched or ignored the rule of law. And then the piling up of false witnesses who could not agree. But Jesus is silent. And finally, in frustration, the high priest asks the central question of Mark's entire gospel. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Never mind the mistaken ideas and expectations of what the coming Christ would be or do. Are you the Christ? I am. Ego e Me. What further witnesses do we need? The high priest roared. We have heard his blasphemy. Was it an invalid claim to be the Christ? Credit the council. They recognized that to be the Christ was to be the Son of God. But was this man actually the one? If he was not, their law called for stoning. But if it was a valid claim, As such, he deserved a bowed head, and a bended knee, and the greatest honor. I am, Jesus says clearly. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus declares his identity as the Christ, the Son of the Blessed. Let us reflect on this miscarriage of justice, this injustice that redeems us. We sing. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, or should I say the proud, as we watch Peter weep. That phrase actually has biblical origins. 2 Samuel 1, David laments over the death of Saul and Jonathan, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. We certainly understand the shift of fortunes and the fall from honor. Jerome writes about the city of Rome. The city which had taken the whole world was taken itself. The presence of this scene in all four of the Gospels is noteworthy. Eusebius suggests that it is part of the self-authenticating of scripture. There is no effort, none at all, to hide our dirty laundry. For many of Mark's readers, hearing this, they would have felt a twinge of pain. For some had failed under persecution, perhaps even betraying fellow believers. I do not know this man of whom you speak. Have you ever said that? Likely not in so many words. More likely in your silence. There is no gospel in this text. And perhaps that is where I should stop as we step into Holy Week. With the shrill crow of the rooster ringing in our ears, I am no better than Peter, neither are you. God convicts us of sin. And yet, the greatest gospel promise of God was being worked out that very day. Byron writes, if the one who despite his brave assurances had denied the Lord three times, subsequently not only found forgiveness, but went on to give heroic witness, then others too could have a second chance and under God's grace finally prevail. It depends on the gospel, which is where we started the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. Let us reflect on that as the morning of Good Friday dawns in our reading and Jesus walks to his death. Let us not shut out the crow or the rooster, but confess. Confess and receive his free forgiveness. We sing.